Yo, it's Pete for C, your boy, the podcast, episode six. Thanks for listening. Got another solid show lined up for you, okay? Little, uh, little downtime as far as football is concerned. That's primarily been the subjects here on this podcast in the early going. And 365, 24-7 is the NFL. They give us a lot. And we're going to talk quarterback play because everyone loves the QB position. I'm also going to talk St. Louis Cardinal baseball. So fewer topics today. We'll get a little more in-depth with it. I'm going to kick things off with Kyler Murray, where I think he stands as far as the NFL. Thanks for listening to Episode 6 of the podcast. We are in the dead of winter. Snow is piling up outside and it couldn't be more miserable. I'm so sick of winter. I'm so sick of the dark. I'm ready for springtime. I'm ready for some baseball, but also also I'm ready for some football. I wish there were games still going on. I wish games were this Sunday. I wish we could watch, but we're in the roster construction period, which is also fun, but obviously it's the most fun when games are going on. And now's the time I kind of start paying attention to college prospects. I see who's on the radar to uh, ascend to the next level. I'm not really a big college guy. I don't watch that much until the very end. But now is when we start evaluating who's going to uh, go high in the draft and who the good players are. And as always, we love talking quarterback play. I do as much as the next guy. And that's what I'm going to talk about now, particularly Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray's can be good. I think he's got the ceiling of good, I think he also has the floor of good. I think he's going to ring in right around there. I think he's going to be the player that we see right now, which is good. Anticipatory thrower, good ball placement, good game instincts, even for a guy who hasn't really played all that much at the college level. I think Kyler Murray could help an NFL franchise. Only a handful, really. I think should take a chance on him, and I'll get to them in a minute. But there are going to be things that Kyler Murray simply can't overcome. And it all is surrounded by his height. He is too short. There are people out there saying it's not that big of a deal. No, it is a big deal, but not so much as it has been in the past. Due to college players coming out and being more gifted throwers, greater accuracy, knowing what to do with the football, route concepts just being much easier pace and space really at the college level and it also infiltrating into the NFL level I think Kyler Murray can overcome some things with his height he can still make plenty of throws but there will be natural things climbing the pocket and having to deliver the football and him not being able to see that will be a problem he won't be able to see where he needs to go with the ball it will lead to interceptions and errant throws same thing with creating throwing lanes he'll be facing pressure and he'll be rushed and he'll force a throw that he doesn't need to. He'll be a good player. But he doesn't hit the benchmarks. He's not 6'2". And there are exceptions. Yeah, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson. But 5'8", that's what it says. That's what it says he could be as low as. 5'8". OU Baseball is saying he's as high as 5'11". Yeah, well, the GMs will get to size him up at the Combine or whenever they meet him. We'll find out then. If he's as low as 5'8", that's an issue. That's a big issue. 6'2 is the benchmark. And that got me thinking. What is the benchmark for for everything? I know 6'2", weight is kind of a, an arbitrary thing. Usually you want to ring in around 200, 225. And then there are exceptions depending on your kind of style of play. You can go all the way up to like 
260, even though Roethlisberger might be 300 pounds. Ben Roethlisberger might be 300 pounds, honestly. He is that big. But if you're around 200, 210, 225, you're in the right range, depending on, you know, your composition and, you know, how tall you are. Which got me thinking, I'm actually 6'2". I'm 210 pounds. And then you talk about hand size. Well, I got the ruler out and I scoured around on the internet. What's the average NFL hand size? And I measured in at 9 and 7 16th of an inch, which rounds up at the combine to 9.5 inches. And wouldn't you know it, that is the NFL average. That's the benchmark you want to hit at the minimum. So yes, sizing me up, I am the prototype. I have all the physical attributes to be an NFL QB. I knew my talents were wasted in high school. My coach had it all wrong. Could have been a contender, but whatever. Kyler Murray displays plenty enough to be a good NFL quarterback. That's why I think there should be plenty of teams that take him. Namely, I think two really stand out to me. Cincinnati Bengals. I really like to see Cincinnati take a shot on him. I think Zach Taylor could be the right coach for him. There's talent on that team. Taylor, well-versed in the college game, was at Cincinnati for a year. I think Zach Taylor would be a good fit in the Bengals roster as it's currently constructed. They could immediately win some games with Kyler. Number two, Tennessee Titans. Same thing, same idea. They just lost LaFleur to to Green Bay. However, I'm not a Mariota guy. He's always injured. He's pretty okay at everything. And it's contract time, whether you want to extend him or not. I would not extend him. Sounds like he'll pass the physical. Not a definite thing with him. But if you can cut him and draft, excuse me, and draft Kyler Murray... I think you do it. I would like to see Kyler Murray in Cincinnati, Tennessee. The shortcomings, quite literally, pun intended, are too much for him to ascend to great status, but I think he's going to be a good NFL player. I hope he ends up with the Bengals or the Titans. Let's switch gears to another quarterback, one that's been in the league since 2008. Big throw, Joe Flacco. I really like the news that he was headed to the Broncos. I thought that would be a good fit. I said, hey, he's back with Kubiak, and they'll be rolling him out. Cutting the field in half, play action, chucking the ball deep. Joe's lost some arm strength, but him with Kubiak in 14 was a great thing. But then I realized, and I can't believe I didn't know this, I didn't realize Kubiak's in Minnesota. Yeah, I I thought everything was in place early January. I was like, okay, cool, Kubes is going to be back with the Broncos. We'll see what happens. And then when news broke that Joe was headed to Denver, I was like, all right, great. But, you know, I'm just kind of finding this out now. That, no, uh, Kubiak's in Minnesota. So, I'm a little less, far less optimistic with Joe and his success in Denver. But I do think it could still pan out depending on what philosophy Denver draws up as far as offensively. Because, clearly, they consulted with Kubiak. Kubiak gave him feedback. And I'm sure if they went ahead and proceeded to get Joe Flacco that they're probably going to keep some things in place and uh, take the advisement of Gary Kubiak. So we'll see about that. But mainly the reason I want to talk about this is not so much about whether he'll succeed or not. I just think he has a better shot now than he did in Baltimore. In Baltimore, they were just doing this you know, West Coast stuff with Morningwig, and it just wasn't working. Never really understood it. 
they got some weapons that were conducive, but ultimately kind of found out that they weren't. Crabtree, uh, Brown, the receivers, they don't have the, the contested catch ability that I think maybe we anticipated, and their catch radius isn't that great. That's what Joe Flacco needs because he's not a great uh, rhythm. He's not a great accurate thrower, but he can get the ball to the right place, which is a good thing. And really I want to talk about, because I didn't think the media was going to crush us like they did. The journalists, the analysts, reporters. I knew the fans would do it just because they, you know, I mean, that's what they do. But it seems nowadays, anytime you overpay or when production doesn't match dollars, people just freak out. $18.5 million Joe Flacco's due. Is he worth that? No. But market and demand. I mean, supply and demand in the market. That's... That's how it works. Quarterbacks get overpaid, just about every single one of them. And I think Joe Flacco, it's worth a one-year experiment. Even maybe not a one-year. If he comes into camp and he sucks, you can cut him. But it's worth a one-year experiment to win some games. The Broncos weren't as bad as the record indicates. They played some really good teams at the wrong times. They played some really good teams at the wrong times and led to their average record. Some people believe you're either rebuilding or you're you're in contention. You're in the figurative window of of winning the championship. And I think it's the most overstated thing in the NFL. The time to win is always now. And I admire the fact that the Broncos continue to kind of zag when everybody else is zigging, hire a different coach, continue to collect defensive players. And instead of worrying about overspending at the most important position on the team, they say, hey, we're going to take a shot to see if we can get something together for one season. In the age of information where we talk about the future and draft picks and the outlook, because we have all this information now on the internet and everything, and it's great. I love it. I do it a lot too. But sometimes we forget the whole point is to win, and a year is a long time. The coaches, the players that show up that year aren't interested in two or three years. They want to win immediately. Now, you got to be smart and not cripple things. But I don't see taking an experiment, because that's what he is at this stage in his career, Joe Flacco, experimenting to see if you can revitalize him while also probably potentially eating some dead money with Case Keenum. I don't see that as a bad thing. You'll have to be more refined in other areas of your roster construction but you're taking a shot on Joe Flacco with also the idea that you're probably going to take a guy in the draft, maybe even trade up for him to get some ca- and remove some capital from your resources. That's fine. I'm okay with the Broncos taking a flyer on Joe Flacco. Take a flyer. He won't be horrendous in camp, at least I don't think. Take a shot with him in 19. Try and win. Way to go, Broncos. People go one direction. You go the another. I like it. Let's see what Denver has in 2019. Okay, I'm about to enter into a topic that I have a very strong opinion about, and I have basically from the beginning with this. And C.J. McCollum is just the the latest, so I'm not going to pile on him for thinking this because really it's the masses. I remember Booger McFarland brought it up during a Monday night football game this season, and there's been plenty of others since really became a topic of discussion due to one of the individuals involved that individual being Odell Beckham. It was the summer of 2017, I believe, not 100% accurate, but I do know it was before the 17 season, I want to, um, 
almost 100% sure of that. But what it was is Odell, he, he was getting some flack about whether the Giants should extend his contract or not. Ultimately, he got it a year later. But there was a lot of talk going on, you know, should you, should you not? What are the dollars? Does it make sense? Do you like him as a guy? All that. And he tweeted out something. It was a mashup of him and Tom Brady and their fierce reactions on the sideline. And the mashup, what it did was eliminate all the moments that led up to those reactions and thereafter, and they were from various games, from both of the uh, both of the players. And it was just the perfect internet influencing video out there because what it did is it elicited the reactions of people saying, see, it's the same thing. Tom Brady, it's passion. Odell, he's a jerk, bad teammate. And it really did no favors for either player because what it did it do? It eliminates context. We eliminate context all the time. We want everything to be context neutral. And then what we expect is everything to be evaluated the same way. Well, I'm here to tell you that life doesn't work that way in anything. Any, anything we talk about, context is everything. Context is everything there. Odell did himself no favors exactly with the crowd that is the detractor on his side in this particular discussion. With that video, it eliminated context. And overall, when evaluating why Tom Brady's reactions, even though in my opinion they look completely different to Odell's, let's hypothetically say that these reactions are the same, they will be interpreted differently because Odell and his history and his behavior in the game of football. Tom Brady, it has been known for quite some time, teammates passed and present from years ago till now say the same thing he walks up to him day one extends his hand says hi i'm tom nice to meet you insert player's name odell well odell's the guy who got suspended was caught on the field throwing punches at josh norman was completely out of control odell was the guy that didn't understand the idea of optics, particularly in the New York market, about going on a yacht before a playoff game. Odell was the guy who slammed his teammates during an ESPN interview with Josina Anderson later in the or during the 2018 season. So when Odell is screaming on the sidelines, it's going to be interpreted differently than Tom Brady. He doesn't have the benefit of the doubt. Now, if we were to go back to each game individually, I'm sure I would find myself saying, good for Odell for getting in someone's you-know-what. But there are far too many times I've been watching Giants games, and I say, yeah, he's out of control, and this isn't conducive to winning this game, and isn't conducive to having the proverbial ship rowing in the right direction. Or boat, I guess I should say. I don't like when people eliminate context. I don't like when people say, X player does this, Y player does that, why is it reacted the same way? Because it's two different guys. Everything matters. Everything is relative. Odell hasn't done himself any favors 
from media members, fans, anyone who watches and they see that on Sundays to think that he's doing something beneficial for the team because he's never really been a team first guy. Tom Brady, on the other hand, you have players, you have evidence from the from press conference, you have everything to believe that when he screams at a teammate or he's screaming on the sidelines, it's probably going to help ascend for that given game. This is something that just irritates me to no end. Context is everything. Odell, word association, much different than Tom Brady. That's why people interpret it differently when they're on the sidelines getting fired up. Okay, I can't go the entire pod without talking about spring training, pitchers and catchers report, Cardinals down in Jupiter along with the Miami Marlins. Pretty excited. Soon we'll have games. Then it'll be April before we know it, and uh, it'll be baseball season. I can't wait. And really, the spring training is less, um, you know, I'm not anticipating it as hard, particularly with the Cardinals, just because it's kind of the same old story. They're, um, I'm hearing all the same things from executives, the same plans on how they see the, pl- the season playing out as far as what to expect from players and why they constructed the roster the way they did for this 2019 season. And yeah, I, all I can say is good luck. Good luck. Cause it's the same old story. X player. We're expecting a bounce back. Y player, the proverbial next stride. This player, we feel good as is. It's like, okay, like I've heard the same thing with Colt Wong. Going to take the next stride. Fowler's going to bounce back from a 196 average or whatever the hell he hit. You'll learn I'm not really a big batting average guy. But when you hit 196, I really don't need to see anything else. It means you've been awful. And and you're, you're good with Paul DeYoung. Okay. Seen it. Uh, been hearing this stuff pretty much for, for three years now. Not with the same players, but this same idea. There's no risk with the St. Louis Cardinals. That's what I've come to learn. And you know how I know that? It's not Mazalock. It's not Schilt. It's Bill DeWitt. It was two years ago. A red flag popped up. It's when he said, I don't believe in windows. In football, I don't think the figurative window is necessarily a thing. It is, but it's not as big of a deal is what a lot of people make it out to be. But in baseball, the window of contention is an actual thing based off how players play at a particular age, how contract structure and uh, status in the collective bargaining agreement is uh, is set, and then how you add to your team and how you can properly assess dollars to, to player. The window is a real thing. You can expand your window, you can shrink it depending on what you do with your resources, but the windows are there. And when Bill DeWitt says that he doesn't believe in windows, that tells me that there will be little to no risk ever taken by the organization. The organization will never put themselves in the driver's seat. They will never be they will never manufacture themselves to be amongst the elite. Currently with the the Yankees, Astros, 
and their status. Now, of course, they're the American League, but that's what I mean when I say in the driver's seat. Maybe they get there based off what others do and then naturally just by default go into the top. But the Cardinals will never put themselves in that position purposefully. How do I know? Well, when you say you don't believe in windows and there's no, I won't call it dumping, but getting rid of contracts contracts that you got, gave out too early, i.e. Colton Wong, Paul DeYoung. These are contracts that if you're not willing to eat dead money, let players play for other teams while you pay them, Jed Jerko, if you're not willing to do that, that's how you come to spring training in 2019 with the same roster, expecting different results, and basically your grand plan was to to give homework to the players over the offseason. They, they had meetings this year after October or during October, and they, they each had goals that they have to come back and hit by spring training. Sounds all very high school to me. I, I wanted to see change across the board. It's not a whole Bryce Harper move with me, although I think they should be in that market. To me, it's take some doggone risk, admit you screwed up somewhere, and change the freaking team. Maybe it's not Mazalek's call. I know he gets a lot of heat for it, and he did give out the contracts, so don't get me wrong. He assumed some of the contracts. But this all goes up to the top, man. DeWitt says, I don't I don't let guys play for other teams that I'm paying, and we're never going to take a huge risk, ever. And don't tell me Ozuna, Goldschmidt, those aren't risks, okay? Those are adding good players to your team for players that you don't know what they are yet. Cardinals are the same doggone thing as what we've seen pretty much for three years. I think they're an improved club, but in a division where probably the best teams reside, Cubs, Brewers, I throw the Reds in there. I even like the Pirates. They're pretty much right now, as it currently stands, my sleeper to make the playoffs. I, I, I don't know what to expect for the Cardinals because it's kind of the same old story, which makes me think I'm going to read the same book. A lot can happen in baseball, but I don't like the approach to the offseason. We'll see what turns here in April. Okay, y'all, that's going to do it here for Episode 6. Thank you so much for tuning in. Love talking about the NFL, even though we don't have games going on. And, of course, hitting on spring training a little bit. This weekend, I think I'm going to watch some of this Alliance stuff, okay? Had to take last weekend off. I needed a break, but uh, looking at the reports... Looks like it's probably uh, something worth exploring, so I'm going to look at that. But in the meantime, I need something from you guys, okay? Big iTunes. If you have not subscribed, please do it. Leave me feedback, maybe a five-star review. But let me know what you're thinking. What do you want to hear more of? What do you want to hear less of? What am I not hitting on that you want to hear? Thank you so much for tuning in to Episode 6. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend.